In our morning service, uh, we began a series this morning from the book of Joshua dealing with uh, spiritual battles and the lessons we can learn. In the evenings, we're on a series of messages. Uh, go, we've gone alphabetically, starting with the letter A in the summers, to those whose names begin with the letter A in the Bible, the next summer, letter B, and so on. We are now up to letter P, and we're dealing not with a person, but with a place this evening as we come to Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to begin reading at verse 22 as I'll give you the background to the context to the passage um, in the first part uh, point of the message. So we'll just pick it up at verse 22 of Genesis 32. Uh, We are dealing with Jacob as uh, he's about to meet Esau. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you once again for an opportunity to open your word, dear Father. And we just praise you and ask your blessing on it this evening. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he brings your word. Open our hearts and our minds, Father, for we long for that day when we see you face to face without fault and with great joy. And dear Lord, uh, that's, this is because of the love and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And dear Father, if uh, there are those that do not have that assurance, won't you work in their hearts at this time? May these words, Father, tonight uh, uh, do your will and open hearts for you. This in the precious name of our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. And amen. So three things from this particular passage. First of all, the context that we're dealing with, the struggle that is spoken of, and thirdly, the blessing that is given. So the context, the struggle, and the blessing. To put it in its broader context, Jacob's returning from Laban. You'll remember, many of you, the story of Jacob and of Esau, uh, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, how Jacob, with the help of his mother, tripped 
tricked his father Isaac uh, into giving him the blessing, which resulted in Esau being very, very angry and threatening to kill Jacob. That resulted in uh, Jacob being sent off to Uncle Laban, the brother of his mother. He's been there for a little over 20 years as we come to Genesis chapter 32, but he snuck away. Um, He got away from Uncle Laban without telling Laban that he was leaving. Uh, Laban was not happy, uh, took his men, caught up with him, uh, confronted Jacob, one about leaving, two about the fact that somebody in Jacob's caravan had stolen Laban's household gods. We know it is Rachel from the account we're given in Scripture. Jacob seems to be unknowing of that. And yet when it is discovered, we find out uh, that Jacob takes them and rather than destroying them, he simply buried them at that particular time. So he's on the way back. He and Laban have struck a, a covenant, an agreement, there's a, like a stick in the sand. And Laban said, I'm not coming any farther than that, and you don't come my way anymore either. This is it. And they part ways. The second thing that is the context here is the fact that he's returning back to the homeland, but homeland also involves Esau, and he is very afraid. He is still afraid of Esau's anger, of Esau's threat, And the fact that Jacob has received the news that Esau is coming to greet him with some 400 men. And of course, like many of us, when we hear somebody's coming with 400 men, we have no good thoughts. We go through the whole long list. What's he going to do? What sort of execution are we going to go through? What is he going to put my wives and my children through? Is he going to take all my possessions from me? What's he going to do when he actually gets his hands on me? It helps us to understand the fact that Esau with his 400 men is a pretty big threat. And Jacob just can't match that. He's got wives. He's got 11 little kids. He might have some servants. And he's got lots of goats and sheep. But No match for what he thinks is a professionally trained army. And that he's just coming into a slaughter. He is very afraid. And Jacob makes attempts. He he is making attempts to try to in some way appease the anger of Esau. He keeps sending gifts. He keeps sending gifts. He he keeps sending sheep and goats in the hopes that that maybe Esau would say, okay, okay, it's enough. I'm all right. You paid your debt. Okay, I, I, I get it. I was mad, but boy, this is a pretty big sum. I'm okay with you now, brother. Let there be peace. But that don't come. Instead, there's, there's sort of the rejection of the gifts, which in the Middle East can only mean one thing. He's still mad. He's still angry. He's still upset. Now, that's the worst-case scenario that's playing over in Jacob's head. The truth of the matter is, Esau doesn't need him. He himself has become very wealthy, very uh, affluent, and, and he doesn't really need Jacob's gifts. But Jacob doesn't know that at that particular time. And so that fear keeps coming, and he just keeps trying over and over and over to somehow bargain his way out of the trouble he's in. See, that's what his whole name is all about. 
He's the bargainer. He's the supplanter. He's the trickster. And he's still trying to do it. He's still trying to, in, in this sense, trick Esau out of his anger by sending these gifts. But then when we turn to our text, we find he does something else as well. And, and commentators are a little bit different as to how they understand this. Some think that this is an act of protection. He's protecting his family. But when you read the account, I think it's the other way around. His final attempt, okay? This is the kind of man we're dealing with here, this Jacob guy. His final attempt is this. Esau's going to kill me. But maybe if he sees my family, he'll spare me. So he puts his family out there, his wives, his children, that they're going to meet Esau before they meet him. That's the underscoring of the line. He was left alone. Yeah, he is. He put his family out there. Maybe if Esau meets them, he'll go, oh, but sweet kids, I can't hurt their dad. Okay, okay, Jacob, it's okay. He's making all these attempts. And that's where the struggle occurs. Right? Here he is. He's alone. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. There's no one else around. It's just Jacob now in his own thoughts. It's just Jacob and his own fears. No little kids making noise that can distract him. No wives to try to deal with. No animals to go feed or to, you know, I just got to get away for a little bit. Let me go feed the sheep. Nothing. He is left alone. He knows there's nobody on this side of the Jabbok with him. He knows there is no one there. Just his own fears. Just his own frailty. Just his own questions. He was left alone. And what's the next thing we read? The next thing we read is, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now just imagine the scene, right? There weren't any neon lights flashing at the Jaybok. Jaybok River, Jaybok River, so every once in a while you got a dose of light. There aren't any street lamps, Right? There aren't any big parking lots at the University of Jaybok that are shedding some light into the night sky. It's night. And, and as we read, okay, verse 22, that same night he arose with his two wives. It almost makes it sound like he was laying down. He, he might have even dozed and then woke up and thought, I got to do more. I got to do more. Okay, wives, children, let's go. You're going to the other side. This is late at night. And suddenly there is a man. Suddenly there is a person. Now if you're, ja- if you're Jacob, what do you think the first thought is going to be about who this is? Esau? Esau? He's here. He's going to kill me. See, because as we read this, Jacob fights tooth and nail. 
right? Kind of gets rid of our picture of, you know, the mama's boy type thing, right? That we all have of, of Jacob because, you know, he, he stood near Rebecca. Anything but. He's fighting for his life. In the darkness. In the pitch blackness. Now let's, let's journey, okay, over the bridge. Let's journey into the woods of the upper peninsula. Let's journey to, to a spot, to a cabin that has no lights around it for miles and miles and miles. And you go out to use the facility. And suddenly, there's a man there. The only thing you think of is, this is for harm. Oh, but Jacob's spears, how they play upon themselves. How he goes over and over and over. He wrestles with a man. Life and death. Physical. Emotional. Spiritual. There's so much going on here. There is so much happening. This, this isn't just a nice wrestling match that they're having and they're going to walk away and they each cash in $12 million from all the HBO people who have watched. And they'll shake hands at the end, say, hey, I'll meet you in a couple of months and we'll make another $12 million off this. This is intense. Now this morning I referenced myself or referenced the passage way too soon Okay, so you got to go with me to the book of Hosea. Okay, book of Hosea, if you don't know where it is, it's near the end of the Old Testament. The book of Hosea, chapter 12. And we're going to go down to verse 2. And, and this comes in a section of God's judgment against Israel and Judah in the time of Hosea. But we're going back to Jacob. So in verse 2 we read, The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel. Now we know that's, that we're, we're going back to the literal, literal history in, in Genesis, that's what we read about the birth. And in his manhood, he strove with God. Now look at verse 4. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. Hosea under inspiration of the Spirit, is going back and he, he's recounting for us what happened there that night. And there is certainly more than just a physical wrestling match. Jacob is dealing with all of his weaknesses and all of his frailty. and He's dealing with all of his fears. He wrestles with a man. So we're told. And yet, pretty amazing this, this passage, right? He kept his ground. 
Hosea used the word and he prevailed. We, we read here, okay, in, in the text that, that, that the, the, the being, the person, the man wants to leave. And Jacob said, no, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Look at the end of 28. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob was a pretty good wrestler. The only thing that ends this wrestling match is that the man touches his hip socket. Now, if you think about what we're doing here, right? If you think about the wrestling that we're talking about, okay? You know, we're, we, we're, we're in one of these, you know? I, I would almost call some of you up, but I don't want to be pinned to the ground, okay? I don't need any injuries. You know, we're like this, you know, head against head, hand on arm and arm, and, and we're engaged in this intense struggle of pushing back and forth, of pushing back and forth. And suddenly the man touches the hip. What did that just do? What, what did that just do? All the force, all the balance, that Jacob has is gone. Suddenly, the one side of his body, his, and, and that which he is using to, to work in this wrestling match, has gone weak. There's nothing there. He's now completely at the mercy of this man with whom he is wrestling. He is, at this point, incapable of defending himself. He touched his hip. So much respect for this that we read at the end of the chapter that the people of Israel don't, don't eat that portion of meat. That's okay. I, I've got a feeling it's probably dark meat, so I wouldn't want it either. But they don't eat it. Because this event plays such an important role. In their formation as the people of God. As Israel. So he's blessed. That's our third point. And you say, Pastor Bob, wait, wait a minute here. You've got you to go back. You can't just get away with saying he wrestled with a man. There's got to be more going on here. Oh, Yes. But you see, we, we get that when we come to the fact that he was blessed. Because blessing always comes from the one who is superior to the one who is inferior. The fact that there is a blessing given. Remember where we were when we closed out Hebrews last Lord's Day? Right? That, that benediction, what is that? That is the blessing of God. That, that's God coming to us and blessing us, the superior to the inferior. I know we use the phrase, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, but, but that word that's used there has a different idea and understanding than the idea of giving a blessing. Who, if Jacob is able to, to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with this man and prevail, 
Who is it then that would be capable of giving a blessing? Well, we're told, aren't we? Okay? We're told. We're told in a number of ways. Tell me your name. Why are you asking my name? Right? What does that mean? Don't you remember somebody else in the Old Testament asked that as well? Moses is going to ask that later on. What's your name? What's your name? Why doesn't he give him his name? Because the answer is he already knows who it is. Jacob already realizes who it is that he is dealing with. How do we know that? Because he names the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. Jacob was wrestling with God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, he's wrestling. We would say as we look throughout the Old Testament with the one who identified himself as a man. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in a certain sense, when we think about Christ, is it not true in a certain sense that the sin of man prevailed? How did he die? He dies hanging from a cross. Why? Because of the sin of man. But you see, all that's coming. Right now, we just have this scene of, of Jacob having wrestled with, with a, a, a theophany. Of Jesus Christ, of, of Christ becoming flesh for, for a small period of time, for a short period of time. A Christ appearance here at the Jabbok with Jacob. And he blesses him. That's what, that's what Hosea 12.4 is about. It's what Hagar talks about in, in Genesis 16.13. And it's found in that name, Peniel. I have seen God face to face. And what does Scripture tell us about that? Well, exactly what... Jacob comments on, right? I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. No man can see God and yet live. But I've seen him face to face. And I've been delivered. I've been blessed by God himself. I've been blessed. I've seen him face to face. How was he blessed? What's the blessing that Jacob got out of this? Jacob, 
You're no more Jacob. Your name is done. Your history is done. Your past is done. Who you were is done. Jacob, you are now a new creature. You're Israel. See, this is why the people of Israel paid so much attention to this event that they don't eat that piece of meat. Because this is the formation of them as a people of God. And it's a formation of them as a people of God by grace. He should not have been spared. The whole passage is a passage that teaches us of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's goodness to this sinner. To this man who is alone and all alone in his fears and his shortcomings and his sins and his failures. And he is all alone. He is there naked before God. And yet, God changes his And that, my friends, is what has happened to every single one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. This is not the story of Jacob. This is the story of you and of me. Because just as Jacob's story is the story of grace, so is ours. And tonight, Tonight, we heard Nicole stand and say, I'm alone. I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. There is nothing left for me to do. See, that's Jacob there. At night. There's nothing left. He's empty. There's no more options. There's nothing else to do. He can do to save himself. He is totally and completely at the mercy of God to save him. Nicole stood and said, yes, yes. I confess. I'm alone. I'm alone. I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do. That sin in our hearts, in our lives, in her heart and in her life is so strong, is so powerful. It's going to bring about the death of Jesus Christ. But then Nicole answered another question. Are you looking to Jesus alone. Yes. Yes. Jesus alone. No one else. Nothing else. I'm all alone here. I got nothing. Except I have Jesus Christ who died for all my sins. Who promises to be with me, to never leave me, to never forsake me. 
to promise, who promises to walk with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. Hmm. Isn't that exactly what Jacob is facing? The next morning as the sun rises and Esau coming, he's looking at the shadow of death. But he's been blessed. He's no longer Jacob, the trickster, the supplanter. He is now Israel. He strives with God. He is God's man now. Just as this evening we heard Nicole's public testimony, her public affirmation, I am Christ. I belong to him fully, completely. He's my Lord. He's my master. They called the place Peniel. I hope you've been there. It's one of the most beautiful spots. No, not one of. It is the most beautiful spot on earth. Oh, I don't know. I've never been to this one. But I've been to the spiritual penile. And if you've been there, then you know its beauty as well. For you too been with God. And when you're with God, you know you're a sinner. And you know your only hope of salvation is found in Christ. But there's one other part of this story, isn't there? When he got up the next morning, what's different about Jacob? Well, his name's changed. He's a new man. Not Jacob, he's Israel. That's right. But you know what? We tend to forget that. We tend to forget an awful lot of the time that we're these new creatures in Christ. So God gave him a reminder. When Jacob got up that morning, Something new. It's got a limp. It's never going to go away. It's always going to be there. You say, oh, poor Jacob. Oh, no, 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 no. No, because Jacob's going to need to be reminded of that limp often. Because that's a reminder of God's grace. And we need that in our lives. That, that's why professions of faith are things we ought to be at. Because they're great. Because they're a reminder of God's grace. They're a reminder of what God has done. They're a reminder of God's saving love to us. They're the limp of grace. But that limp is also a reminder to Jacob, eh, never going to win on my own again. Now, no wrestling matches for me. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I've got to keep coming back. As I told Nicole earlier, I've got to keep coming back to Christ. I've got to keep coming back to Him. It's a reminder of God's grace. 
It's a reminder of his need. And it's also a reminder of his blessing. And when God saves us, he doesn't touch our hips and make us limp. No. But he makes us humble. Humble. So that we always look to Christ. Until, until that glorious day when we shall see Christ face to face. Isn't that amazing? Some of you know the little story behind this song. Sandy's mother lay dying, breathing her last breaths. I don't know if it was Sandy or her sister suggested that. We read some hymns. We weren't going to be able to sing at that time. So I took an old hymn book and just started flipping through it and reading through various hymns. Only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by. By the time I was done with the fourth verse on the chorus, she was seeing him face to face. Ah, the wonder, the beauty of God's grace. And someday, someday, friends, that's your hope, that's my hope, that's your reality, that's my reality. Someday. Someday, we'll all be in penile, face to face with our Lord and Savior. And God's people say, Amen.